dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. One of the most common struggles that people have is passing from planning into action. We all know what we should be doing, but actually doing it can seem an insurmountable hurdle. How do we pass from having good intentions to actually having good actions? Every leader has to do this. St. Thomas Aquinas gives us a key. He says that the fear of risk can be overcome by love and by the knowledge of what is right. Putting this into practice can be the difference between failure and success. All right, so today we want to talk about something that's important to everybody. How in the world do I actually pass into action? All right, where if I'm a leader, if I'm a person, any person in any given role of responsibility, it's not my good intentions that are going to make me successful. And it's not because I'm a nice person that I'm going to be a good leader. In the end, whether we're nice or not, that might be the case. Leadership is determined by what we do. People have put us in this position because they're counting on us to perform. And you could put this in every form of leadership. Think about the family, for example, right? For those of you who are mothers, right? Or fathers out there. And you say, well, gosh, what does that mean to be a mom or a dad? Well, we know what it means. It means that you have to serve. <laughs> you have to serve every day. It reminds me of this comic that I saw one time in the newspaper where that little child was asking his mom and dad saying, mom, there's Mother's Day and there's Father's Day, but when is their kid's day? And the mother responds to the child saying, kid's day is every day, right? And so it's kind of true, right? When your mom or dad, you need to do a good job. They're counting on you, not only to provide for them, but to educate them, to help them, to rear them. It takes so much energy, right? Well, if you're in charge in politics, it's the same idea. We can speak how ineffectual it is when we have representatives that don't seem to accomplish anything besides debating daylight savings time, right? You can get upset about that. Say, isn't there anything more consequential that you can do? You've been given power, in other words, in order to enable and effectuate action, right? So how do I do that though? Because then if I put myself in my workplace environment, it's the same thing. There's nothing worse than having leadership that seems to not be able to make decisions or leadership that seems ineffectual at resolving the conflicts or the problems that are keeping people from flowing and functioning well. And anyone who's gone through a healthy organization cycle knows that those who are at the top work more. <laughs> it's like when you finally get salaried, right? And people say, oh my gosh, how nice to have a salary. And then you kind of sigh because you say, yeah, you get paid more because you end up giving even more of your life to the company. I remember one time I was in the World Trade Center in downtown Manhattan and I was visiting a law firm where you know they, they had their offices there and the fellow was telling me yes on average that you know you're expected to be at this office 14 to 18 hours a day and unless you become a partner and then it's it's you know the same expectation but even closer to the 18. <laughs> 
And you realize how impossible that actually is to think about that amount of work. But he was actually being serious, saying most of the time they burn through their workers, right, because of that level of dedication. And, and the higher that you go, the more that the company is expected to own you. And, and so, so many of us experience that. Even if it's not at the financial level, the, we, we, we shirk commitments and we don't want to be committed to something as a leader because we know that that is going to eat up our time. And this can be a very healthy reflex, especially if you have a family, because then obviously your time needs to be for your family, right? Or if you have other responsibilities, you're, you're loath to go to a leadership position because we already have our priorities and we have healthy boundaries. All these things describe for us an essential truth. A leader is a person of action in home, in the culture, in your workplace, CEO, chief executive officer, executive. That means one who executes, who does things. So then the question before us is why is it so hard to do things? If I am a leader and I have talent, why do I struggle to execute? Every single one of us will have that problem in one degree to an, or another. Everyone struggles to get things done and to do them in a timely fashion consistently. And for some people, it's the big problem. And, and it's the thing that keeps them back. It can even ruin marriages and destroy families. Because when your spouse depends upon you for action and you don't give it, you're actually negatively impacting their lives. And boy, will they ever let you know it. <laughs> Same thing with our kids. When our kids are depending on mom or dad to be there and fill their huge emotional needs and give them attention, and we don't, well, obviously that impacts them to, to the negative. Anytime people depend upon a leader, they depend upon that leader. And if we've accepted the mantle of leadership, we've also accepted that huge responsibility, which can be overbearing and crushing sometimes, but it's a responsibility to act. So we absolutely need to solve whatever it is that's keeping us from effectively passing from good desires, good intentions into action in order to help those who are around us really be able to be served by our leadership, right? So how do we do that? As always, we go right back to sacred scripture and we start to look at how much this, the Bible insists upon action and the beauty of action. Remember, of course, Matthew 24, where Jesus says, whatever you did to the least of my brothers, that you did to me, right? And whatever you didn't do to the least of my brothers, that you didn't do to me, right? So he puts our final judgment at the level of our action. You think of St. Paul in Philippians chapter three, who says, I worked out my salvation with fear and trembling, right? I worked out my salvation. Or in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where St. Paul talks about all that he suffered for Christ, and he was whipped and he was beaten and yet he kept on going. St. Paul's example, you know, or the fact that our Lord in Matthew 26 sends out his apostles saying, go ye therefore to the ends of the earth and teach all nations to be my disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? So, you know, our Lord, in other words, really puts action at the center of what it means to be a Christian. And we who are trying to follow him as disciples need to embrace that that's an essential aspect of our life. If you don't want to be active, go and be a hermit. <laughs> but you, what you're going to find, of course, is that they have to be pretty active as well. I mean, work in a sense is the essence of life, right? It's, it's not the high point of life, but it's the fabric that may, it's, it's what you, in, or if a person is working, they're going to be healthy. 
Because the fact is, our effort, our energy to constantly be in action is what keeps us alive. When you stop working and you stop pushing yourself to produce, death will settle in. Either the moral death or the mental death or the emotional death. And when death settles in, someone else takes over leadership. Essential to anyone who's asserting leadership is a dedication to be someone who passes from intention and from plan into action. And that's just, uh, therefore, we have to heal whatever is broken there if we're going to lead our people in, in any kind of way that's effective. And remember, Christ who has made us as people who need to work to stay alive has added on that by his grace that you need to assert yourself in order to glorify him. Love requires action because love begets responsibility. The one who loves is the one who takes responsibility upon their shoulders. And that responsibility is the opportunity for action and an action that's fruitful and that makes the real impact that we want to make. Does your family matter? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a family mission infographic that will help you focus on your family. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. All right, so we all know that we want to lead and we all know that leadership requires action. The great question in our mind is, how can I do this better? right? From the overwhelmed mom who has to fold her clothes as the kids are all, you know, screaming for attention and one of them is sick, you know, to the overwhelmed office worker who comes home, you know, after work and finds that they need to now engage in their family. And of course, that's certainly difficult, especially when there's tensions between spouses. How do I overcome all of the lists? You say, well, in order for me to fold the clothes, I have to first make up with my husband. In order for me to, you know, make up with my husband, I have to first take care of the sick kid. In order for me, you know, we have to have time. We get, we get so far behind in the mountain of things that are necessary for us to achieve in order for us to do what we want to do, that we just stop. I mean, it's a human reaction, right? I mean, this happens to everybody. I don't know anybody it doesn't happen to. And it's certainly the same in the world of business. You're like, okay, we want to make our hit our objective this quarter. I don't know. We want to expand our building. I say, well, expand the building. We have to think about our, our hiring because we have to hire someone to expand that building. Oh, to think about the hiring, we need to first make sure we have an onboarding process that's proper and our contracts that need to be updated in order to make sure that our agreements are going to be in alignment with the contractor that we bring in and that we can properly onboard so that they can then expand our building. Oh, that's going to require, and you start to go backwards and you realize, oh my gosh, we have so many things not in place that are going to jeopardize the success of what we're trying to accomplish, that we're going to spend a year just putting things in place in order to achieve what we need to do at the end. And of course, like that can be really disconcerting because you have all your other objectives that are competing simultaneously for your energy. And it's like this in life, be it at the home, be it in the office, it's the same phenomenon. In order for me to execute, I need to have clarity around a plan. And the clarity around the plan it, it, ha it then leads me to this moment where I need to assume all of the risks for the things that we didn't see, that we couldn't see. And that assuming risk is just a big step for a lot of us. It's a step too far for some of us because it means that we could fail. 
You, when you're just planning, you really can't fail, right? When you're just dreaming and having ideas, you really can't fail. But when you pass from the inside to the outside, then you can fail and fear sets in our hearts. And of course, it affects different people differently, depending on how failure was treated when you were little and how you were reared to see yourself. Are you someone who can accept failure as an option? Or is actually failure such a, a fearful thing for you that it'll actually keep you forever inadequate and forever in place? It's a real question. It's something we all have to ponder in our hearts. And how do we treat the people who are around us? Do we enable them to make mistakes? Do we actually encourage them to fail and to fail often so that they can fail their way into success? Or is failure such a thing that in fact it can actually stifle out innovation and keep leaders from leading? Think about it in your own life. Obviously, when I say failure here, I don't mean the final and ultimate kind of failure. I just mean that your plan might need to be changed. That external circumstances can come in, market conditions can change, the economy can change, employment can change, the people working on your team can change, embezzlement can happen, disease can hit, all kinds of things can happen. And, and, and if those things happen, what will you do? Well, you'll have to pivot, you'll have to move, more energy will be required. And so we kind of resemble people standing on the edge of a wonderful cliff and we have the opportunity to jump. And, and, and a voice says, jump. And we say, well, what if we fall? And then the voice replies, yes, but what if you fly, right? In other words, if you don't jump, you don't, you, you'll never make it. And so many of us just prefer, we say, well, this is the end of my road. The end of my road is a perpetual planning process. The end of my road is a perpetual discernment. The end of my road is to constantly wait and just hope that maybe, maybe something will come and take risk away. I have journeyed through my life and I have come to the end of a road where now I have to pass from planning into action and from discernment into decision and from hoping for good things to actually being good. And we all tiptoe up to that precipice and many of us falter at that moment. We fall back and we simply say, well, I'm just not going to even try. It's just so much easier not to try because then everyone will think that I'm good because I can just act and do what everyone else thinks is adequate or what everyone else does. I won't really intercept my kids and say, soccer's not a good option. You need to go to mass and not make the traveling soccer team because you're a Christian before you're a soccer player. Oh my gosh, right? Whoa, won't that be something else? I really have to step up and say, I'm going to sign that loan and darn it all, we're gonna go in debt and our, according to our plan for the next 15 years, there'll be pain. And on the other end of that, there's a light on the end of that tunnel, right? And you're like, wow, will I really sign that loan? And we stand there and, we, 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 and you don't have to. Many people fall back and they say, well, if I just keep doing what everyone else applauds, I'll, I'll never have to really lead. And I'll say, yeah, you don't have to. But if you never lead, then you never shine the light of Christ that is inside of your soul that he sent you to shine. And the people that he sent you to and in your relationships won't be evangelized. And that choice is yours. You need to choose, on the contrary, to not be afraid of the risk. And, and this is where Jesus comes in. 365 times it's in the Bible. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Those voice, voice needs to echo in your ears at this moment. Do not be afraid. Make this decision. Pass into action. 
the world is waiting to be blessed by what God's going to do through you. Would you like your business to become a virtuous workplace? Would you like Father Nathan to come to an event in your town? Visit www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash r-events and join for free today. All right, so we hear it said over and over again, do not be afraid, right? It's almost the great Christian mantra, uh, 365 times in the Bible, do not be afraid, fear not, be not afraid, right? But that, that doesn't seem to really solve the problem because the reason we're afraid is because we're intelligent. We're looking at a calculated risk. There is a real threat of disaster, of failure, of hurt that can come my way and because I'm a leader, I have to take stock of that. I, I can't just ignore that or act like somehow or other God is going to preserve that from taking from hitting me when in fact it very well might hit me, right? And so how do I lead in a situation where I have to take that risk? We already said action requires that list. Action requires passing from the inside to the outside where I have to no longer just say I have a good heart but where I actually can become good. This is a, just a, a passing note. I just want to say this on the side here because it's an important one. How many times do you hear, oh, well, my husband, he has a good heart, but then he abuses you. And you say, well, yes, he abuses me, but he, is, he has a good heart, right? Or, you, or how many times do you say, well, the person really has a good heart, but they're on drugs and they're selling terrible things and they have no job and they have no, but they have a good heart. And you're like, I don't deny the fact that they can have a good heart. I don't deny the fact that you have a good heart. I don't deny the fact that many people in prison have good hearts. The fact is having a good heart is not enough. You have to be, be good. And you get the opportunity of claiming your true identity when you pass from potential into action. And when you pass from having good intentions into making solid choices. And that passage is where you actually put your skin in the game and you put yourself on the line and you commit time, resources, talent, an actual activity of sacrifice towards an endeavor that you've chosen. That's part of the measurement of true leadership. You can be a potentially true leader and a potentially good leader by planning out all of the potential things that you might do, but you're not a leader until you actually do it in action. And that means that you actually can lose something you know how committed someone is. It's like that old, that old saying, are you committed? There's two ways to be committed to something. You can be committed to it like a chicken is to an egg or like a, a pig is to a pork chop, right? <laughs> a chicken to an egg is kind of committed, but then again, not really because it's not going to matter if the egg, you know, what happens to the egg, they stay a chicken. But when a pig is committed to a pork chop, ah, now you've got, you've got a winning recipe, <laughs> literally, Wow. And, and that's the type of commitment that a leader shows. And that's the commitment people will follow. So how do I pass into that? Right? So I have a real risk and risk is real and the pain can happen. Here's a couple devices that can help you to overcome that. The first is to have a plan B in my planning process. Remember that all great plans are dynamic. All good plans are able to be modified. 
is my plan able to be modified? So I have a plan A, and in the face of unforeseen contingencies or breakdowns, and they're probably going to happen here, here, and here, let's make a plan B. If planning gives you less of stress and less anxiety, then plan well and plan in where the breakdowns are going to take place. Don't be so oblivious to the fact that your breakdowns are going to be the fact that your team is going to fall into jealousy or that these, this person is going to quit. Think those things through and make a contingency plan and be able, knowing ahead of time as the leader, this is going to change. Second thing that you can do to help you overcome your fear is to galvanize your team. Remember this, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but you know that you're going to have the same team tomorrow that you have today. Galvanize that team. Make sure that they're in it as well. Work on your relationships with the people that you're going to have to stress when things change and modify. If we have a good sense of team and, and teamwork, then we can overcome anything that comes our way. Third thing, and this is perhaps the most important, keep in mind the end goal and the reason why you're doing this. Convince yourself and go back to touch the real power that's motivating you to take this risk to begin with. What will the world look like if you don't take this risk? What will your business look like if you don't take this risk? What will your marriage look like if you don't take this risk? How will you feel about yourself when you come to the end of your days and you haven't taken this risk? Who is it that you, that's depending on you to take this risk right now? And if you don't do it, who is it that will suffer for the, for the fact that you have not taken that risk? You see, this is the real profound questions and they hurt us and they're hard for us, but they're the questions that really allow us to understand what we're doing. You know, if you think of the impact that you're trying to leave on the world, if you're not convinced that the value of that impact is greater than the pain that you're facing to make it, you won't make the choice. You need to see that the value of your impact is greater than the pain. And this is where our, our, our relationship with the Lord comes into play so powerfully. Hey, why am I living anyway? Why am I leading anyway if it's not for him? The real purpose of my life and the greatness of my life is in my relationship of love with Christ. Well, don't you see that Christ and this choice are linked? And honestly, most of you don't. That's why a lot of Christians don't live an integrated lifestyle. They don't understand why their faith actually drives them into business. And because of that, your business suffers and your faith suffers as well. The two need each other. Business and faith go hand in hand because it's business, it's life and the real practicality of who you are that keeps your spirituality focused and grounded. And your spirituality keeps your mission in life dynamic and full of fire. The two need to go hand in hand. And so now you go back to that decision and you, see, you need to ask yourself, if I'm not doing this because of the Lord and with the Lord, then I might not have the energy and the strength necessary to make it through everything that's going to happen my way. But if I am, <laughs> well, then there's no obstacle out there that's going to be bigger than what the Lord is going to do and he's going to carry me through.
right? I need to evaluate that risk. Now, obviously, in a purely secular business endeavor, it's difficult to find that. And I understand that. So, but you, it, you, your motivation can remain the same by really saying and understanding the value of what you're trying to do, even if at a minimum, it's called keeping your job because you're supposed to execute on these different plans. Okay, well, that still is a valuable and meaningful thing. Connect with it. Connect with the transcendent meaning because then it's not even a question of whether or not you take the risk. You know, in, in fact, in the moral act of imperium, that's what we're talking about. The command that you give to yourself to pass into action, that imperium, that command comes from the mind to the will. And the will desires a good, but it's to the mind to be able to tell the will that that good is actionable and that's the good that we want to achieve and it's worth the penalty and the price you're going to pay in order to get it. And that passing of that action is carried by love. When you're able to link the act, the, what you're doing right now in the office today with the love that you have for God, God made me a dentist. And so I'm going to go into this, this meeting of we're planning our new machinery and the new techniques we're going to roll out for our patients. And I'm doing it from a whole different perspective. I'm rolling into this meeting as the dentist that God has given to this city to help these people and I'm doing it for him. Do we take risks? We calculate them. We have a fallback plan. We galvanize our team. We look to the end goal. And then we pass into action. Recognizing this, the decision to not make a decision is also a decision. And the, fact, the risk of not taking a risk can sometimes be riskier than what you would risk losing by risking in the first place. If you can follow that one, then you've understood well what we're talking about. It is better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all, says Shakespeare, right? Well, it is better to live and encounter difficulties than to never live at all. It, we are forged by the great things that are ahead of us and in front of us and above us. And we were made for those heights. You are a leader because you are awesome. Don't hide that awesomeness because you're, you see that there's a risk that something might happen on the other side. Your only other option is to not lead, to not live, to not excel, to fall into the anonymity or in the words of Theodore Roosevelt's, put yourself with the cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. And my friends, we all know that's not an option. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.